everybody welcome to the 214th edition of the holy backboard podcast i'm dustin here in rip city and i got my man sage chilling here and uh well news happening in the last four days so we're here to talk about it and we have a special guest as well special guest we got uh telly aka telly boo um she is going on 15 years old and fun story about Telly is I got her and her brother Bassey in the summer of 06. And so I loved naming my cats after blazers. So Bassey was named after Sebastian Telfair and Martel Webster was my second favorite blazer on that team. And she was a girl. So I didn't really want to name her Marty. And I was like, Martel, Telly. And so I, you know, Telly. And so uh, this, this is my, uh, my Telly boo right now. She's on my lap. We're, it's a Friday night. I've got my drink and I'm ready to talk Blazers that, you know, a lot has happened. It's kind of been a, a whirlwind of moves from from every NBA team, but it's it wasn't unexpected given that the season damn near starts in, Sage, the season starts in 32 days. So mm-hmm. goddamn, I mean, it, it is moving hot and heavy, fast and furious, and we are here to break down every single move and there's probably more to come for the Blazers, but we felt that enough happened tonight that it warranted another full episode of holy backboard you know that even if one move happened we're gonna talk about it in great detail you know a lot has happened so of course that we needed to talk about it but the the first thing that happened this week after our podcast was the nba draft did you watch the entire draft just like i did I'm a draft junkie. So even if the Blazers don't have a pick, I will sit there and I'll watch. I'm very old school when it comes to the draft. I turn off all of my notifications from Chris Haynes and Woj. I want to hear the pick from, from the commissioner. I don't like it being spoiled. Like this is, it happens one time a year. And, you know, we really do a lot of our due diligence. We watch a lot of film and scouting reports and you like to make your own decisions about a player and how they're going to fit in with an organization and so I don't want it to be spoiled and knowing like three, three minutes ahead of time, who, who's going to be picked, you know, three picks down the road. So I'm very old school about it. And I was like, Hey, if you see any trade rumors, send them my way. Cause I know ESPN is terrible about reporting trade rumors and their overall, their draft coverage is pretty trash, but it's, it's nostalgic for me. So I play along. Um, I honestly was hoping for a, a lot more movement, especially for an uncertain draft where there was no superstars um honestly the biggest news of the night if we want to take it a step back was pre-draft when clay thompson had a right lower leg injury which turned out to be a torn achilles so that was the the biggest deal of the night in my opinion it's awful for him and how hard he's worked it's like he sat out the entire year watched his team struggle and then when he was ready to come back another injury happened and it just it's devastating for him yeah, even though I despise the Warriors and, and their their legion of fans that swarm the Rose City every time we face the team from the Bay, uh, Clay Thompson's always been really likable. Um, I liked him in college, surprised me with how good he was in the NBA. Uh, he's just a, a pure shooter who doesn't need the ball in his hands. I think he scored like 60 points on 11 dribbles one game. 
I mean, really the modern day microwave. I mean, I think my favorite two guard in the league, and I think somebody that if you could say who's your ideal two guard next to Dame, you want a guy like Clay Thompson. Uh, they don't have the dynasty that they have or had without Clay Thompson. For all the love and attention that that Curry and Durant and Draymond got, you know, I really think Clay Thompson was the glue to that team. You look at his performance in Game Six of that 2016. Western Conference Finals in OKC, you know, staring down the barrel of a 3-1 deficit mm-hmm. really gets them back in, into the, the the NBA Finals. You know, didn't go their way against the Cavs, but he put on one of the all-time vintage road performances. Uh, and you just wonder what this is going to do to him, not only physically, but mentally. That, that is a tough roadblock to overcome. Like you mentioned, you're spending over a year rehabbing a uh, an ACL injury that happened in the finals. I mean, that is a lot of emotions to deal with. It wasn't just a regular game. It happened when you were at the end of the road of that season. And so now you're seeing that uphill climb and you know, the next year is going to be a wash. And then you have to do that again. Um, you know, your biological clock is ticking. You know, your backcourt mates biological clock is ticking. How much time do they have left? Draymond has certainly slowed down. Obviously, Iguodala and Durant and so many of their other role players, Sean Livingston, have moved on. So you kind of wonder if this is the end for the Golden State Warriors. And and obviously, selfishly, I think of how it impacts the Blazers. Obviously, you want Clay to make a full recovery. But looking at it from my team's perspective, it, it opens the door in the Western Conference. But Sage, I would be lying if I said I wanted it to be like that. You want to go, you want to go through teams that beat you on your own path. And yeah, you know, they picked up Kelly Oubre and they got James Wiseman and they still have Steph Curry. So they're going to be a, a difficult team to, to tangle with, but you wanted it to be Steph and Clay. I mean, they have been a thorn in our side for the past five, six years. And so hopefully we get that chance next year down the road uh, to really go head to head in another playoff series. And that that's really what I'm hoping for. I mean, Clay was, at his apex was like the 90 and 99th percentile guard in this league. Like, when you think of the perfect pairing for a backcourt, it's like Clay Thompson's has to be one of the first three fingers you put up when you're describing who would be the best for Dame. So it's like to see him in college and think, okay, he's good to see what happens when he gets to the right team and the right culture. And this is what you hope your, your D and three guard can become and see it go away in a few years. It's, it's, it, it's it's a really sad story, and I hope that he can come back and and prove us all wrong and still be the the great defender and the great shooter that uh, he has been in the past. Was Pat was Pat Williams the first humongous surprise to you in the uh, the draft? Yeah, I mean, I really thought that was the clear surprise. I was surprised Minnesota went with Anthony Edwards. Um, a lot of red flags from my point of view with some of the answers he gave. Um, in pre-draft interviews before. Clearly, he was coached up by his agent on the on the next round, but that first one was pretty honest, and it seems like, you know, his heart may not be in it. He might prefer football. Um, it's just players like that with all the talent in the world, and maybe they don't have the drive. Just a, a, a ginormous red flag for me. I, again, I'm not sold on D'Angelo Russell being there um, as the one Carl Anthony Towns could, could ask for a deal for the next year or two. Who knows? I mean, it's been five seasons and they haven't made the playoffs with him there. If you really think LaMelo ball has the highest upside, I would have just selected him and, and tried to have, to have made it work. Um, but yeah, Patrick Williams, 
was a bit of a surprise, but we had heard leading up to the draft, like he was rising up the draft boards. And again, there was no surefire pick in this draft, not even number one, all the way through the late lottery. You, you just didn't know. I mean, you really could look back five years from now and the best five players could all be selected after 15. I mean, it's just a, the ultimate crapshoot when it comes to that. But, you know, Chicago felt like they needed a small forward and he seems like he has a lot of upside. They're in no rush to win now. But uh, yeah, I think that was definitely the biggest curveball. But it, makes sense when you look back in retrospect. I mean, you knew he was going to rise when when you see the athleticism one and then you see how he is as a person and how he interacts the whole the flower thing that ESPN did shows a different side of him than you've ever seen. He probably killed it in the the interview and he has this amazing upside. I really do hope if I was Chicago that you do not put him at the small forward because the major issue for him is the lateral quickness as a player. And as a, someone you want to create a, a culture with, I think Pat Williams is a really good player to have because it's just a collection of parts. Pat Williams could be someone who stays because you've heard Lori being traded. You've heard of Wendell Carter rumors. I don't think they're going to trade Pat. Yeah. I would say the biggest shock for me was Jalen Smith of Maryland going 10 to Phoenix, I actually like Jalen Smith as a prospect quite a bit, but when DeAndre Ayton is going to be playing 30, 35 minutes, um, it doesn't – I thought they might have gone Devin Vassell, Aaron Neesmith, uh, Tyrese Halliburton. I mean, there, there were a lot of really good options at 10 for Phoenix, so that was a bit of a surprise. But James Jones got his man last year in Cam Johnson, albeit he is an older rookie and now uh, an even older sophomore, but – he clearly knows what he's doing. They made a smart move to get Chris Paul. So um, what? who are the mock drafts to, to tell you what player should go where? But in terms of like who was available and after, what I've seen and what they could have used, it felt like they could have went in a different direction. But again, I still think he has value as a, a backup big to DeAndre Ayton. And I think he'll always stay in the league because he has the ability to shoot and be a movement shooter. There's not that many players that are movement shooters at seven feet. So he'll always have a, he's going to have a floor because of his abilities as a shot blocker and a three point shooter. I don't know if the fit's good. I, I screw it. Go for, go for a point guard that Chris Paul can teach or go for another wing, even though you have all the shooting in the world. As we, as we're going to talk about, if you're going to bet on someone, bet on a small forward. <laughs> Surprise was Halliburton dropping because I thought he was a, at least a top 10 guy and the Kings making a smart move getting Halliburton. I think, okay. Yeah. I mean, I think there were always 13 to 14 guys who could have went top 10. It was just a matter of playing musical chairs and seeing which, which uh, chair got moved out the fastest. And once you saw Patrick Williams move up the boards, um, that was a clear indicator of what was going to happen. You saw Onyeka Kongwu go about three to four picks higher than most projected. And so, you know, once these players get off the board, it slowly but surely pushes another guy down the board. And so he really wasn't taken too far out of his, his zone. I think the ESPN crew was just, whatever reason, Halliburton was like the fourth player they were hyping up. It was Wiseman, Edwards, and Ball. And then they would just all of a sudden just talk about Tyrese Halliburton and just forget the other 55 prospects that, that existed. You know, it, it, I think it, it's it's the leadership that you get from Halliburton. It's the the body type, and 
Like they, I saw a lot of comparisons to Shea Gilders Alexander. Shea gets into the paint and launches floaters and does all of these creative things to get to the basket. Tyrese Halliburton did that twice. Like uh, he shot two floaters. So if you're comparing a guy who's amazingly good at floaters to someone who doesn't do it, I think your comparisons kind of, kind of messed up. But uh, I got to say, when it got to the Pelicans pick with, with the Xbox and PS five coming out, a lot of what you had to do to get it was keep on refreshing, keep on refreshing till you get to the, the screen where you can purchase your, your next-gen consoles. I was flipping up my phone like every three seconds trying to see who the hell the Pelicans got because it was in the danger zone of the two prospects that I value the least, and I didn't want to have to convince myself that the, the six months that I saw of them in college was going to be the guy that the Pelicans chose. So... Once it said Kyra Lewis, I was like, okay, I can work with it. Kyra Lewis is great. Awesome. Rather have Tyrese Maxey, but the 24th and the 27th guy on my list compared to the, I think the 15th, I find value in that. And Kyra Lewis is very, very fast. And that's a very important thing to have when you're trying to do a faster paced team. I think I know what you're your choice is, but who messed up the most in this draft? Messed up the most? Yeah. I don't know if anybody really messed up the most. Detroit taking Isaiah Stewart at 16, and then you've seen the plethora of big men they've signed in free agency. Doesn't make a lot of sense at all. I didn't have him in the first round when we were doing our mock draft. He's an undersized five he's at best Montrez Harrell and we saw how his value just tanked it in the bubble um they redeemed themselves by getting Sadiq Bey three picks later who I think really fits nicely with Killian Hayes but they could have had a, a they could have had a really nice trio to build around I mean they they got good value for that draft pick and what they had to give up to get it Trevor that's right they took that yeah, they took on Trevor um yeah I, I thought that was probably one of the worst picks of the first round Killian Hayes is my number one guy. And then as much as I hate Sadiq Bey, he has a floor. I don't think Stewart has a good NBA floor. I know Sadiq Bey is going to be in the NBA for a while. So to take somebody at 16 and have it be a question mark and then sign three centers, it's like, God damn, why are you trying to take the 28th, 29th, and 30th best center from uh, from the league. It's like, goodness gracious. I mean, I think for me, the, the team that confused me the most was the Boston Celtics. They go Neesmith, and again, I don't value him highly. I know a lot of people that I, res- that I respect do. Then they go Peyton Pritchard, which I feel like is a very big jump because I think that I didn't value him in the first round. And then to trade Desmond Bain, who I had at like a very nice, like I think he's going to be a a good quality player and trade him to a rival of ours. It's like, God damn it, man. The Celtics suck. (laughs) We got to look at it from Boston's perspective. They are a team that Oklahoma City should be monitoring very closely and how they handled their quote-unquote treasure chest of of assets and they had three picks in what was deemed a non-superstar driven draft reports where they tried to package them up and move up in the draft I mean 
multiple teams were trying to do that. It, it didn't happen. Nobody really moved up that high. And when you took what they view as a better prospect in Aaron Neesmith at 14, you know, it was assumed they weren't going to keep Desmond Bain. They weren't going to go into the, the, the 2020, 2021 season with three rookies. Um, and if it wasn't Boston, you know, I, I heard Peyton Pritchard had a first round grade and our first round promise. So um, as a duck fan, I, I do think he's going to be in the league for quite some time. You know, Damien Lillard gave him a lot of credit on Twitter. He is an incredibly hard worker. If I had to project him as an NBA player, I think you look at a guy like Steve Blake, he's going to be a 10 to 12 year uh, veteran and he's going to come in. He's going to be good for the culture. Um, not a sexy pick, but I don't think this draft was littered with sexy picks. And if you, I guess, I guess you're not, this was basically the most realistic outcome. If you're Boston, you pick up two players and then you move another for a future first round pick. And what's, what's essentially what they did. Do you think he's that much better than the Malachi Flynn's the, uh, that group of point guards, the Cassius Winston's. I think he's um, a much better NBA prospect than Cassius Winston. Cassius Winston on an open run. Sure. Go out. You're going to be the best player on the floor. You're not going to be able to do a lot of the stuff at the NBA level. Like at that 26, you need to find somebody who knows their role and is a specialist. Peyton Pritchard can handle the ball. He's calm under pressure and he makes big shots. He's going to be, like I said, a Derek Fisher, Steve Blake type of point guard that you can just depend upon. He's going to get stronger. He's going to work. He has a work ethic. I mean, this is a kid that won four straight state championships at Westland came in, was a starting point guard on the final four team for the ducks in 2017 and really was our guiding light. The last three years that made us uh pack 12 champs, pack 12 tourney champs. Uh, we were poised for another deep run before the coronavirus hit this season, pack 12 player of the year. Um, if somebody likes Malachi Flynn more than him, that, that's fine. They're, they're pretty comparable, but I'm just, I, I think for what Boston's doing and you already have Kemba Walker, uh, you can groom him to become a future backup point guard. And I'm not saying starch somebody who knows his role. He's going to do what he needs to do. And I think he's got really solid defensive potential. Yeah. Here's my thing about Peyton is I don't think he's that much different from the Malachi Flynn's, the, 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 that group of point guards, the Theo Maladon, the cash. Like, I think that they're all very similar. And to be the team that takes the first one of them is just bad value in my eyes. You know, like, I, I think that he probably will be a NBA player, but I thought that all those other point guards in this, in, in that grouping probably are also backup point guards. So it, I think it's a value thing. But I mean, for my rankings, it was like, oh, Desmond Bain's so much better than both of them. Why are they trading it to the Grizzlies? Oh, shit. So in my eyes, the Grizzlies are the team that, like, they're the winners, the the the, the value winners. They got Desmond Bain. They got Xavier Tillman. They got, they got my two boys. So it's like, okay, this is the team that, you know, that it, it worries me. Like, they got guys that, like they did a s- extremely good job in drafting where they got JJJ, they got job ja, Morant, they got Clark, they got all of these young, good guys that are going to grow together and shit. JJJ and Xavier know each other. Like this is going to be a good chemistry team. It's because someone that as a blazer fan, we have to worry about like this team's young and going to be good for a while. I agree. And I disagree. I agree they did a great job, probably a top three team in the draft, especially given the assets they had going into it. And I think they're doing it the smart way, finding players who are going to fit their roles and fill out the depth of their their roster. 
I disagree in the fact that the Blazers have to worry about them. We are in win now, two to three years mode. Memphis, I still think they're quite a bit of ways away. John Morant has future superstar written all over him. Jaron Jackson Jr., as much as we both like him, has major injury concerns and hasn't shown the ability to stay healthy. And really nobody else on the roster, I would say, is a future all-star. They have a lot of really good rotation players. And again, you can win that way, but just given timelines, I'm not super concerned about the Memphis Grizzlies. I like what they're doing in Memphis, especially after that long run they had with the grit and grind era boys uh, in the in Memphis. But uh, I think, you know, I'm looking up at the, at the Lakers and, and trying to chase after them. Memphis, they're, they'll, in due time, they'll have their time. But I mean, they're going to nip at our feet eventually, though. Eventually, but by that time, you know, Dame's son setting off into his career and he's probably, you know, going to become a rapper. CJ's going to become a winemaker and, you know, who knows? But uh, so who who do you think had the best draft out of all of them? Ooh, that's a that's an interesting question. I don't know if anybody like I liked moves. I don't think anybody had like a full on fantastic draft. Memphis did. I liked Oklahoma city packaging up and getting a Pokashevsky. He's the perfect player for what they're trying to do. They're trying to tank. They're trying to develop and they're swinging for the fences. Uh, so I, I liked what, what they did in moving up to get him. He's probably the biggest boomer bust prospect in this draft. Did they, did they keep Quigley or did they trade him? Emmanuel he got traded to the Knicks. Okay. Cause <sighs> Your boy did not value him very highly when I was watching so much Kentucky this uh this offseason. I was just like, all right, he looks like a good college guy, but it's hard to project good college guys to be good NBA guys, as we've seen with a bunch of like the best. A lot of times the best college player is not the best NBA player. Um, so moving on to our pick, were you hoping we would uh, pick somebody different with the uh, 46th pick or how do you feel about this selection? And by the time the 46th pick rolled around, I was just like, God damn, can we just like can DVR and fast? Like it was just, I was like, come on, keep going, keep going, keep going. Uh, I think I had to clean up some cat poop or puke or whatever. And I saw our pick pop up. So I was really focused on something else. I was like, Oh, I've seen him. He, he's a pretty good prospect. And you know, you do a little more digging. And um, I remember him just absolutely murdering the ducks. I mean, every time we played him and looking at highlights, he definitely has a, a Will Barton type of frame where if he just fills out a little bit more, he's he's more of the wiry than the bulky guard. Um, he's got a smooth stroke. He's got height length. I think if you can keep him in our system for, for two to three years, uh, you're looking at a nice value pick at 46. I mean, Neil O'Shea, give him credit. Second round steals is basically what he's riding on his LinkedIn skills. Like this is what he does. He is elite at finding talent deep in the draft. He's done it with Alan Crabb. He's done it with Will Barton. Uh, he got Jay Clayman a second contract in Minnesota. Gary Trent. Gary Trent. I mean, the, the dude knows. Um, so I actually, I actually like the pick. Um, I've seen him play quite a bit, you know, being, being a big Oregon fan and watching Pac-12 hoops. Um, he, he can hoop. It's going to be some time and I don't expect him to make a contribution for a year or two, but hopefully once this pandemic uh, subsides next year and we get summer league back, we can get, you know, send him down to the G league and, and really develop him, you know, I think he's just a guy that hopefully by the time you're ready to give him some minutes, he's there. And it, it, the prospect's name is CJ. Uh, CJ Ellaby. Ellaby. Because we, we we did a really good job of not saying his name through that whole, uh, that whole uh, description of what he is. And I mean, 
obviously I want to grant Reeler, but you know, you can't be, you can't, you can't have that high of a, you know, a desire for the 46th pick in a draft. I, I get it. I, I would have preferred Reeler, but it is what it is. And I think that the draft was a, f- it was a fun experience. Like it was, it was a different draft than a, a, a lot of them where it's just like, I don't believe in any of the superstars, but I believe that there's going to be some good hoopers in this draft. So it, it it was a bummer not being able to take a first pick just because you see the Blazers, the 16th pick cool. And then realizing that it got traded twice in, in a, in a day, it's like, okay, okay. I can chill. Uh, it's a long time before the uh, Blazers pick in the second round. So, you know, like you got to see, you got to see some trades. You got to see some players that I think were overdrafted and some studs that fell. So it was a, it was a fun experience. And then the next day we get to see that the Blazers were, were part of the trade that uh, took Desmond Bain to the Grizzlies. What did you think about getting our boy, uh, and his canter back. I mean, for listeners of this podcast, we have been championing, championing the trade exception that we got with with Bazemore for Ennis Cantor for it's going on a couple months now. I mean, it just made a lot of sense. Boston is looking to shed some salary. He doesn't really fit with what they want to do. He had such a great run for us in the second half of the 2019 season. He's a main reason why we made it to the Western Conference Finals after Nurkic went down. Um, knows his role, really became a fan favorite, you know, playing with, with one shoulder. And he's just, he's fantastic at what he does. He offensive rebounds the hell out of the basketball. He is great at putting it back in the basket. And if you need to, you can get dump it down to him once or twice and get him a bucket or he can pick and pop like he's serviceable. And at, he's a decent on-ball defender in the pick and rolls where it gets a little sh- little shifty. But again, we're talking about a backup player where we're trying to fit into a $7 million trade exception. So when you started to look around the league at what teams would actually want to shed salary, those options started to shrink. A lot of teams are actually trying to win now. And the, the players available were kind of, you know, kind of very limited. And, and I just, I loved the idea of getting Ennis Cantor back. I thought his role in Portland, his time, it shouldn't have came to an end, but it was just the nature of his salary. And it was a, a buyout scenario where we weren't really able to bring him back. And it just felt like last year was just kind of a, a letdown of all proportions. Everything that could have gone wrong went wrong. And it, it's nice to start to pick up those pieces again and see, okay, let's look at the 2019 roster versus the 2020 roster. Like, where did we go wrong and how can we get back on track? I think the biggest thing for Portland was addressing that that backup center. One of the biggest was the, the, back, the backup center. And nothing against Hassan Whiteside. I think Ennis Kanter is better suited to be a backup big. He knows his role better. He is He's just better at what we do. Hassan is really great at catching lobs. And we, we don't throw lobs. Uh, we run more pick and pop or we'll, you know, just let our guard shoot. And you got to go in and get the rebound and put it back up. Uh, and this is just quicker with his moves when he gets the ball. And so I, I really love the move. And, and honestly, like I got so excited when I saw the trade notification on my phone, like we're bringing in his canter. I was like, oh shit, we got rid of Mario Hozone yet. Dude, this, yeah, that boom. was the sweetener. I thought the sweetener was going to be a pick, but it was 
getting rid of Rio. That's that was the huge that was the exciting part because you you assumed that he was gonna be on the roster just because he picked up the option, but that 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 added sweetener of getting getting rid of Mario Hazonia just because he doesn't fit with where the Blazers are going. Ennis does like it. It was a good move for the. Blazers. I texted Olga what happened about getting Ennis. She she's a big Ennis fan. Lo- loved him when she when he was here, and then getting her to Rio, and she texted back, "Whoa, double prizes!" And so that's a that's a Toy Story reference when Sid is at the Pizza Palace and is using the toy crane and gets two prizes. So that was a two for one special right there. Um, great way to start the day. I thought it filled a huge void. We now didn't have to focus on using any of our other assets to get a backup five. And a lot of Blazer fans were scared. We weren't going to use the trade exception because we have been so we've been kind of trained throughout the years that when Neil has that at his, you know, disposal dispersal, he doesn't use it. So the fact that we used it to make the team better now, um, absolutely love it. $5 million for Ennis Cantor. Sign me up. That, that is a, that was a plus move right there. You know, it, as we were talking about Ennis, it's like it really shows having a guy like Winion Gabriel. I feel like Nurk and Ennis are very similar in terms of their bodies and how they will be defending players. Having a guy like Wenyan who jumps out of the gym and is more athletic and who's probably going to be very cheap, I think that's going to show a lot of value to the Blazers just because it's a di- it's completely different. I mean, we have bigs that can defend the the bruisers, but we don't really have the 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 bigs that can defend the athletes. And if we if we retain Wenyan's uh, services, then we have the guy that's different. Having versatile players is going to help in this playoff run. And I didn't think I'd be saying that about Wenyan because I I think he's fine, but that athleticism is going to be very helpful and. I assume that his salary would be very cheap. There's just been so much activity happening today with the Blazers. You totally forget about the Rodney Hood signing because, you know, we were peaking at our, you know, our most optimistic when we were signing Rodney Hood. So it was just like, oh, hell yeah, Rodney Hood. He got a raise. And then we have flexibility for the next year. This is awesome. I I think this was one of those wink, wink, you do us a favor, we'll do you a favor. And the fact that they did that favor and held that they were able to uh, follow through on what I assume is the deal shows that the Blazers are a really classy team because they could have easily said, Rodney, I'm sorry, you're, you just had a really devastating injury. We're going to back out of this. And you, you've, you've seen it in the past where teams will back out of an agreement and because it's a hush hush wink wink type of thing, it's not like the player can expose them. So to see that the Blazers follow through on that and stuck with Rodney Hood, and you know they've always in all of their socials are like Rodney's coming back. We're excited about Rodney. To see them actually follow through with a, a higher raise is is really awesome. So he he's got that one year to to prove that he's healthy and hopefully can get that next deal. Yeah, it's a two-year deal, about $10 million per year. As, as you mentioned, the second year is not fully guaranteed. So I'm sure if, if certain things are met, it becomes guaranteed. But Portland's in a really nice situation here where they're able to do right by by one of their, their core players. And Rodney did them a solid last year. We only had the tax levels, taxpayers mid-level exception. 
And Rodney saying, yes, I'm signing on to that was a huge surprise to, I'm sure, Neil O'Shea, the fans and the rest of the league. Uh, He was shooting 48% from three on about three and a half attempts this season before he went down with that Achilles. And it is a classy move by the team to say, okay, we're going to do you a solid. We're going to give you that raise that you deserve. We're still going to preserve all of our exceptions. It still doesn't impact the mid-level or the, the biannual exception. We can go ahead and do that. So they go ahead and give him that raise, but they also protect themselves so that, you know, if he's not the same player, okay, you know, it was worth a shot. Rodney gets a raise and, you know, he's able to take care of his family for the rest of his life. You know, he clearly wants to be here. So when he opted out, I really wasn't surprised. I kind of expected it, to, to be honest. And, you know, he wanted to, to stay in Portland. He kind of found a home after being moved around a little bit. And, you know, whether he's the starting three or the backup three, I think he really fits into what the Blazers want to do. He's a money catch and shoot shooter. He could take advantage of smaller guards on the block uh, with, with this post-up game. And I still think he is a serviceable defender. He's not going to be all world, especially after the Achilles, but he's a smart, heady basketball player who knows where to be on the floor. So he really helps in the team scenario. And he's just a microwave. I mean, we saw in the 2019 season, he put up like 25 points in the second half and won us that game in Charlotte. Like he has the ability to, just go off. And it's nice to have a a plethora of those guys on your roster. So when you start to look at it, you're like, okay, like defenses aren't going to be able to key in on Dame. Okay. If you do that, you're going to have CJ open, Robert opened, Rodney opened, are you going to dump it into Nurk? Got Trent off the bench. I mean, you're really starting to, to fill out the roster to where you feel comfortable. And I think what Portland is doing is again, we, we look back at the 2019 team where you had the wings of Harkless and Aminu, who we both devalued. I mean, yes, they didn't play well in the playoffs, but we both significantly devalued their overall impact on this team because we were just atrocious defensively and a little bit offensively too uh, this season at our wing position. And you look at the addition of Robert Covington, who we discussed is really just a souped-up version of Aminu at the four. And with all the moves we're making, it looks like we are going to play him at the four, which is his primary position, I think, in today's NBA. And then you look at a guy like Rodney Hood, who I think is just, again, a better version of Mo Harkless. He essentially replaced Harkless in that playoff run as as we got deeper and deeper into the postseason. And he took his game up to another notch this season before getting hurt. Like he really worked on the catch and shoot. He knew those were the types of opportunities that were going to come his way playing alongside Damon CJ. And he took that initiative upon himself. So um, I was really happy to see Rodney get his raise, really happy to see him stay in town. Um, there, there, There is such a thing as continuity, culture, and chemistry. You don't just want to overhaul the roster each and every year. And we, Lord knows we did a lot of that last year. So it's nice to have somebody from that 2019 team still, still back with the Blazers. And, you know, you get Ennis and Rodney and you start like, you start to feel start to feel pretty good. Like, can we start to surprise some folks uh, going into this next season? You mentioned it a few times with the culture. I think that's a culture move. Signing Rodney Hood is a culture move. You see how the teammates respect him. Like that is only going to provide good things. This is the time where we have to sign culture guys. So Ennis, he showed that he's willing to sacrifice. You saw Rodney willing to sacrifice. What we've seen with Detroit is, and I hate using Detroit as the worst option, but they've done a lot of like moves that does it doesn't make a cohesive team. With the Blazers, you see the thought process of 
using the exception to get Ennis, signing Rodney to a big deal. You see, uh, trading for Robert Covington, you see the thoughts. He's thinking about how we can establish a culture and sign those specific players that have had success, done things for the team. I really liked what what Neil has, has done uh, so far. But uh, I think this next move is the most divisive move on Blazers Twitter. Um, I know you have opinions, and I would like to let you start with what you think about uh, the mid-level signing. Before we talk about that, you you mentioned draft losers and talking about the 2019 Blazers and brought up another name who I thought was so key in that run was Seth Curry. The Dallas Mavericks, they they are some dummies, man. I cannot believe they traded Seth Curry, who fit that team like a glove, for Josh Richardson, who I think is a little bit overrated, a year or two removed from some really good performance when he was a high-usage player on a pretty poor Miami team. Um, I, I do not know what a usually smart Dallas front office was thinking. Daryl Morey, Elton Brand, Doc Rivers, uh, they're getting some shooters out, out there out there in the city of brotherly love. And I love that move for Philadelphia. Love, love, love that move for the Sixers. So Sixers, they are one of my winners. The Mavericks, um, no. I, and as a Western Conference fan, the Blazers absolutely signed me up for that move um, all day. I think them drafting Tyrese Maxey, Tyrese Maxey falling that far, and then them taking him was a really nice value pick. I believe he's going to be a number two on a good team. Well, he kind of is on a good team. So, like, you got guys that could shoot. You got guys that can defend. Like, originally, we thought that this team was going to be one of the worst just because of how stuck they were with the players that they have, but they've been really, they've been, they've traded and got rid of some really disgusting contracts and they had to give up picks, but the books and their flexibility financially, I think is more important than those bad draft picks. You know, I think Philly did a fantastic job and yeah, I'm very excited to see what Tyrese can do and what Seth can do. They've got some, they've got some good guys. But that Dwight Howard situation was confusing. And they got off of Al Horford's contract. They mm-hmm. That's first, huge. But, they, but they got off of that. And so um, I think the Eastern Conference is going to be incredibly interesting. Uh, the Raptors may take a step back, especially being two years removed from having Kawhi Leonard. Uh, you don't know what's going to happen with uh, Fred Van Vliet, Serge Ibaka, or Mark Gasol. And Kyle Lauer is 36. Exactly. You've got the Milwaukee Bucks, who are in a little bit of a hot water situation after their uh, sign-and-trade with Bogdanovich completely fell through, and there's still more moving parts to this deal with the Pelicans. It's now reported it can be a four-team deal. So who knows what their roster is going to end up like. And then you've got Boston, who, who – what are they going to do with Gordon Hayward? And you still have the reigning Eastern Conference champion, Miami Heat, who we haven't really talked about. Uh, so the East is going to be really open. In Philadelphia, they have top to bottom, maybe the most talented roster. What are they going to do with it? Can they finally put it together? And, oh, yeah, we haven't even mentioned Kyrie, KD, and Brooklyn with a rookie head coach. Uh, it's going to be wild in the East for probably the first time in a while. So that's really good for that conference that we get some, some semblance a balance, but but yes, uh, you alluded to it. The Blazers had one other move that we know of so far in the night, and they offered Derek Jones Jr. 
two years, $19 million with the second year, a player option. And this is the kicker for me that I absolutely hate because it reminds me again of Seth Curry. If Derek Jones Jr. actually performs well, he gone. The Blazers just lost that mid-level exception for one year. And if he's just as if he's just a mid, just average guy, we're stuck with that contract. So uh, I, I have really no idea what Neil Olshay was was thinking with this move. He's really good when he's able to tinker with a roster and he has maybe draft picks to use, or he can find um, players that people haven't really liked in the past, like a Mo Harkless, a Shabazz Napier, Robin Lopez. But when he gets big money to spend. God, that guy just loves to trip over his own feet time and time again. I mean, can can we for, do we forget about Evan Turner and Rip City? Come on, we give that but dude the, a max comparing contract. comparing these two moves is is unfair to Derek Jones Jr. Hey, the, to be fair, because of Neil Neil Olshay's reckless spending in 2016, this was the this was the the most recent time we've been able to have any sort of money to spend. I mean, really, the the mid level exception is big money for Portland because we've been you just, you know, our hands have been tied with our salary cap situation. So, yes, I know what the money is different. The years are different. But I honestly, when I saw you text me that I had the same pit in my stomach that I got when we announced Evan Turner. Um, that's just full, you know, just being completely transparent. I'm not here to talk you into the signing. Like this is a real podcast. Some people are going to like the move. Some people aren't. I'm not here to blow, you know, sunshine and daisies up Neil Olshay's butt. Like when he does great, like he had in the first three moves this offseason, bangers. Four, Count Robert Covington, awesome moves. This one was a dud. 100%, he missed. He swung and he missed. He still has a couple of other moves uh, left that he can redeem himself. But for the time being, this was a complete disaster. I, I, all right. Promise me this. You're going to keep an open mind to how he plays just give me that like i get that i get that the salary isn't what we'd like but just give me that you're gonna give this guy a chance to wow you or disappoint you because what i feel when i look at blazer's twitter is everybody's in the next to the wall defending their points so passionately that this guy sucks and i fear that that's just going to put some negative energy towards him and the team. Be upset about the team. It, it's your right to. You, you f- feel passionately about something. But at least give him a chance to prove you right or wrong. I don't want to see people shitting on him just because he's not the Miami Heat small forward that we wanted. If you're going to take a chance on a player, it should be a small forward, right? He's He's athletic. He can defend. He's a good off-ball mover. There are pluses to his game. When we last saw Damian Lillard, he was getting double-teamed every time he crossed the half court. Derek Jones Jr. is a really good off-ball mover, so he can get into a position to slam dunk it. Like there, There are ways to create spacing other than just standing on the three-point line in the corner doing the four-out scheme. There's ways you can move to create spacing. So I think that when you just when people just talk 28% from three, it's kind of like, yeah, he's a 28% three-point shooter. But when you watch him, 
he was moving around and creating space for movement. It, we just can't think that spacing equals offense. There has to be some player movement. And what we've seen the last time we saw the Blazers play was all four players were in their corners when Dame was getting blitzed to have a guy that's not afraid to move and cut. Like if your one real skill is moving off ball and then using your athleticism to dunk on people, I think Terry Stotts is going to utilize that and some player movement's going to happen. And we we've talked about how boring and shitty our offense is. Well, if you add player movement, then it's going to be harder for the opposing team to just stand in the, in the right spaces and defend us. So I'm fine with the Derek Jones Jr. Uh, signing. It's, it's, it's a worthwhile risk for a guy that's athletic, athletic and can play defense. You saw how dog shit our defense was. It's one of the worst we've ever seen. Our offense is really good. So I, I, I would take a risk on a guy who isn't the best shooter in the world to play some goddamn defense and rotate. Like we had no rotation on any defense that now we have Robert Covington and Derek Jones Jr. to help rotate defensively. So I guess what I'm trying to say is please don't curse him with your hate before we see him in, in, in real basketball. Cause that's what I, that's what I'm most worried about that. He's going to be the scapegoat because he has a $9 million check. For those who have listened to this podcast, I was a huge defender of Evan Turner. I talked myself into that signing for the first year. I was like, Oh, he's going to get it. He's going to get it. And then it, it, it was clear. It wasn't going to happen. So if I can root for Evan Turner and defend it, I can root for Derek Jones. I'm not going to hope he misses every shot. Just be like, Ooh, see, I told you so. I'm not, I'm not that petty. Why would I want to do that? I want to see my team win. So of course I'll support him, but I will counter a lot of your points because one, I'm fine with Derek Jones jr. If it was for the biannual exception, I, I mean, we, that's a different argument for financial. I like, was just talking about the player. But but you have to think of the financial because, again, this outside of Trevor Ariza's contract, the mid-level exception was our biggest avenue to address the, the roster needs of, of this team. And to take a 23-year-old project who's not going to start most likely – who again shot 28% from three. And yes, I know it's just a statistic, but this is Terry Stott's offense. And it, it feels like an overpay. It feels like we had a chance to really become legit contenders and, and go and find somebody else that, that would have made that happen. And, and I know it takes two to tango. I, I'm fully aware of that. Maybe Jay Crowder didn't want to come here. Maybe Serge Ibaka didn't want to come here. Maybe Paul Millsap just said, no, I'm okay with Denver. But given Neil Olshay's track record with free agents, I will not give him that benefit of the doubt. I think we overpaid for a player who didn't really play for the Heat. Uh, he played 15 playoff games um, for, for that roster. And again, you talk about player movement. I am all for that. I would honestly rather give Nasir Little the backup three minutes because you talk about player movement. When he actually played, he was catching lobs off of Dame Lillard dribble, uh, dribble penetration. And he showed promise as a three-point shooter. Again, this was a former five-star recruit, former projected lottery pick, fell right into our laps. Derek Jones Jr., 23. Nasir Little's only 20. Like, uh, let's roll the dice with Nasir. He's got a better contract. He's locked up for more years with this this city. Um, Again, Derek Jones comes in. I think he not only stunts Nasir's growth, but if he has a good year, he's gone. And and so that's what really hurts is – 
like we can't have another 2019 season where we just make the Western Conference Finals and then because of our roster construction and all of the financials, everything just goes to hell. Like I would have liked Neil to have been a little bit more um, just just smart with these contracts. And if Derek, I I just don't envision Derek Jones Jr. getting another mid-level exception offer um, from other teams. Again, I hope hope he turns out well. I, I do. I'm sure he'll be a fan favorite. And had this been in the nineties, he, he probably is, is a beast because he can't dunk. He is athletic as hell, but it is pace in space in today's NBA. That's what wins. And if you're not able to make a shot, you're going to kill our offense. I mean, you talked about Dame getting trapped. I think that is terrifying to me. If Derek Jones jr. Is on the floor because they're going to leave him wide open, but then they leave him wide open so he can dunk. You know that like you are much more optimistic about absolutely this because I'm not gonna because yeah it, it sucks that we can't get Jay Crowder but like look at what he is he's an athlete when's the last time we had a fucking athlete at the wing that can make stuff happen it's your little Jero- give him a chance get, he's a beast okay besides sincere little and I agree he deserves more time but. With what we just spent on Derek Jones Jr., that really is a speed bump for him, and that—that's not—that's not Derek Jones Jr.'s fault. That's—that's that's on the management. But besides Nasir Little, shit, Jerome Kersey was the last super athlete small forward we've had. So, like, I get it. We can't all get what we want, but. There are some huge benefits to having Derek Jones Jr. on this team. D, uh, you and we've had other athletes a- in this history. Ruben Patterson was a big time athlete. Travis Outlaw was a massive athlete. So there, there, but there have been athletes at at the three. Um, okay, what about you? You admit that he's a good defender, though, right? Has the yes. potential to be a good defender. Yes. Okay. If I have to watch, it's, it's today's NBA, and that's why it's so important. Because Tony Allen, you know, I saw probably one of the greatest individual defenders of all time, just get completely played off the floor because he couldn't shoot the ball. And I'm not saying he's as bad of a shooter as Tony Allen. And this was like four or five years ago when the Warriors were really ahead of the game and starting to really manipulate teams on on defense. If you aren't a threat, you are a hindrance to your other four teammates. So the bottom line for him to play, yes, he may get out of the break and do a spectacular dunk and, you know, we're retweeting his highlights. But if at the, but the bottom line is if he can't turn into a serviceable shooter, which Harkless and Aminu were, he's not going to be able to play. And that is a huge concern for me. So... What what would make you think that he's a serviceable shooter? Is it a percentage? What what's the what's the cutoff between you know negative shooter and neutral? Okay, so I was just looking something up, and as I was talking about Alfred Camino, when we signed him, he showed a he he was just really he 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 was really hot in that playoff series with the Dallas Mavericks his last year with Dallas. He, he turned it on. He showed promise. He showed flashes of brilliance. He shot 64% from three 
Clearly, that didn't translate over, but his next three postseasons in Portland, he was all over 40% from downtown, getting the exact same looks that Derek Jones Jr. is likely to get. Derek Jones Jr. is still an incredibly young player. He's only 23 years old. He's uh, a year younger than Aminu was when he was during his first postseason run with, with the Dallas Mavericks. It's just incredibly concerning that he's never been a knockdown shooter. There's not even been one outlier of a season. Um, you could say maybe he just didn't get a lot of opportunity really until the 2019 season. So he's um, could be an untapped potential, you know, maybe a, an unfinished gem still needs to get the polish worked off of him. Um, and that could very well be. But again, it goes back to the contract then, because then if he does discover the three-point shot, he's going to be out of our price range next year. So there's just a lot of reasons that I can see it working, but there's always that, oh, but we did this. So it's not going to, it's that this is never going to be an A grade for me right now. I give it a C minus. It could come to a B at the end of the season, but it's never going to get higher. Right, than that. I, I'll take a C because what I've seen on Twitter is F like the worst shit ever. No, now Detroit's an F. I mean, what, what they're doing is, is Wait, F. are you saying the off season or this particular move is a C? This particular move is a max a C, right? I oh, give it. But what about the off season in as a in general? It wasn't a plus before this move. It dropped it down to a solid B for me. But after yeah, last it, it, year, it you'll take true. a B. It's not good enough. We need to be better. So Neil's got to really bust his ass to get the the, the biannual exception. We still need to back up one. I'm tough. No, we we gotta go. Like this is go time now, Sage. Dame is thirty peers from other teams be like yo this is a great move i the, Bla- the blazers are a top four in the west type shit and i'm like okay i see that like i know that they don't they're not taking the the insane close-up view that we are but it's like okay so other people think that this is a good move i think this is a good move Derek jones jr just needs to prove that it's a good move and it's on him I th- like I think that this is a, this is a fine risk. And I know that the salary is the issue. I I, I still give this offseason a B plus. Like I don't think Detroit like there was no I don't think this is a Detroit move. If this if this this move brings it down to a B plus, it is what it is. I still think we're a top 4 team in the West because we're we're, we're having a discussion about a Someone not even close to being in the core. This shit's on Damian Lillard, CJ Nurk to get us most of these wins. Like that's that's what we really need to worry about. Those are our guys. Nasir Little, Derek Jones Jr. They're just complimentary pieces. And I think what Neil thought is a high-level defender athlete. Might as well give him a shot. Hopefully he can push our team to a little higher heights. Yeah, um, still not sold. <laughs> not, I, I'm not here to sell people. No, I, just, I, I know you're not, and you're you're making good arguments. But again, I, I'm still not sold. I think the opportunity cost uh, was just way too, way too, way too rich for my blood. You factor in that you're bringing back Rodney Hood, uh, who's probably going to play the three with, with CJ at the two. You factor in Gary Trent Jr.'s growth and development, who could see him close out games at the three again alongside Damon CJ. You also have Nasir Little who can play some minutes. It, it just it's a really weird fit. Yeah, we have a lot of people the contract. I 
but we but a lot of people wanted a small forward. A lot of people I, were like I, the I MLD small, small forward, forward baby. It was not on my list. When you bring back Rodney Hood and you see what Gary Trent Jr. can do for you, and you have a former first round pick in this or little, like there was no starting small forward that was walking through that door. I wanted another power forward to, to give us some depth or a backup one. Cause God knows we need somebody to really lock that shit down. We were money when it was Seth Curry. We need to find our Seth Curry. Like that was way more important than taking a project with our mid-level exception. Again, biannual exception. Perfect. Roll the dice. Okay. We just lost our greatest opportunity to acquire a high level player. And that's where my beef comes in but I, I digress i mean but that's that's with neil not not Derek. i'm not mad at Derek jones jr i mean there's nothing to be mad at him about it's this is all directed at neil olshay and the front office management of the portland trailblazers so with the 3.8 it kind of limits us from those top tier point guard assets what are you looking for in from a backup point guard now I mean, you just need somebody who, when they have the ball, you can be like, can you just give us five minutes where the ship just doesn't completely sink when Damian Lillard is off the floor? I mean, that, that's the bar. It's, it's not very high. I mean, mm-hmm. to, to be completely honest with you, Sage, it's we're not asking for somebody to come in and be a six-man-of-the-year type of point guard. Can you defend at a league average? Can you make an open shot? Can you, can you triple the basketball? Like, can you just not – just don't fuck up. Like you're really in there. I want to see Blake, a Danny Young, Greg Anthony type of point guard. Th- mm-hmm. Those three backups all had those attributes, and they, so they that. kept the ship right. You know, mm-hmm. there's they're at the wheel. The captain's just you know taking a quick snoozer, and he and he just just wants you to keep keep staring at. I've I've got you the coordinates. Keep on this path. Don't deviate from the course. That's all we're asking for here. So. Trey, I know he just got signed, but a Trey Burke level point guard or a backup point guard? I mean, you're looking at guys like veterans, guys who have seen some shit in the league and nothing's going to really. Uh, I think they're out of the Jeff Teague. Uh, yeah, but, but you're looking at guys uh, of that caliber a uh, Jeff Teague, a Trey Burke, a DJ Augustine, uh, Austin Rivers, who just came on the market. Um, that type, Chris Dunn. I mean, they may be a little more pricey. Some might be available. I mean, if you have to, and this is a guy I liked at the time, but if you have to, a Shabazz Napier, mm-hmm. uh, you, you just need someone who is going to play 10 minutes a night. We can't have Damian Lillard play 40 leading the league in minutes for like the fifth consecutive year. So We're just gonna... like an Ish Smith. I mean, I'd hope he'd be better than that, but yeah. He doesn't Ish play Smith beat out Shabazz Napier for minutes. Come on, give him a little love. Yeah, but Shabazz was the man in Portland. I thought he, that was his best year. So, I mean, it's crazy that people still think that Shabazz Napier is young. He's, he's been in the league for a while and played at UConn for a while. To great, like I know people have asked what our grades are. It's still an incomplete because we still have a backup point guard to find. So let's start it off with longtime friend of the pod, and I'm sure he's sick of our group text conversation blowing up his notifications. Uh, Anis, uh, our guy, he wants to know... Two questions. Overall, number one, how much did the Blazers improve? So if you look at 2019 as Western Conference Finals, 2020 as just barely making it in with, with a bunch of ton of injuries, you look at the roster so far. Sage, how much would you say the Blazers have improved? I think we're a top four team in the West. 
so quite a, quite a lot, man. Like, yeah, I mean, I, I would agree with that. I, I think that they looked at what they had in 2019 and they, they realized, oh, shit, we really need some perimeter defenders. We need guys out there who are highly intelligent and prioritize defense. They know their role. They can hit outside shots. Um, I think they got significantly better. Mm-hmm. Uh, you look at what makes it even more, not impressive, but what is it more important his teams around the West are starting to fall by the wayside. We've talked about the Golden State Warriors. You know, it's unfortunate the way that happened with Clay Thompson getting hurt. You look at the Oklahoma City Thunder, they are tearing it down and rebuilding. Lord knows what's going to happen with the Houston Rockets, but I believe we're better there. Uh, you, the Clippers lost Montrez Harrell. They gave Marcus Morris a huge bag, and their chemistry still probably isn't fixed. Denver, I mean, that that's 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 the story right there is Denver. They lose Jeremy Grant and Mason Plumley to Detroit. They may get a sign and trade back. Who knows? But they are a team that was rich in depth, is now starting to feel the losses of those two, plus uh uh Hernan Gomez and Malik Beasley to that trade during the deadline to the Timberwolves. Um the, the the Nuggets took took a massive loss tonight. So, you know, if you're really looking at it, Portland could be the second or third best team in the West. Uh, and so I think you really have to to take that and run. And I, for that Robert Covington trade was probably the deal of the offseason uh, mm-hmm. from any team, in, in my opinion. Yeah, I think that, yeah, I think we're a top four team and a contender. So it's a massive improvement from where we were, shit, three mo- two months ago. <laughs> Second question, what grade would you give Neil Olshay so far? So he's made incomplete until we get a point guard. But if I had to give a grade. Anise asked you so far, Sage, do not punk out on Anise. He is an OG listener. You got to throw it away. We still have one asset to – it depends on that. But I would give it a B. Yep, I I give him a solid B as well. Um, I mentioned earlier throughout the pod, A+. Covington, A plus Cantor, A plus Rodney Hood. I even liked the pickup of CJ Ellaby in the draft, given the position we were in. Um, could have been a lot higher had we not signed Derek Jones Jr. So I think that bumps it down to a, a B, B minus. And, and again, it's still a little bit incomplete. There, there's still a couple of options that we can work with. But again, we're recording Friday night, and I'm certain you'll hear from us later on in free agency. But as of now, those would be our grades. And so we have more fan questions from Twitter, Sage. Uh, we have a question from uh, Brutal Telling on Twitter. Wants to know, while using the mid-level exception on Derek Jones Jr. is a bit underwhelming, the collective haul of Covington, Hood, Cantor, and Jones Jr. is, in my mind, quite impressive. How would each of you letter grade the offseason to this point? So you got four transactions. Give me your letter grade right now for each of those. Uh, Covington. A, Cantor, I'm not as hyped as you are, so I'd give it a B. Hood's an A just because I think that that's a classy move by the organization and it gives him a chance. Uh, Ellerby, I don't give a shit. I think we should have gotten Grant Reeler. The CJ, the, the other CJ thing makes me wish that we had a G League affiliate so we he can get extended run because... You know, he's not going to do much. Like, if we send him to the Erie Bayhawks, they don't run the same scheme that the Blazers do. These guys learning the Pelican scheme. That's why I picked the Bayhawks. Um, so it's like, 
I wish that we put in the 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 assets to grow a G League so those young players that are have a speed bump in front of them can get some extended good run in the scheme that's ours. I don't see him being a big uh asset to us right now, so see and then uh I honestly have no problem with the MLE, so I'd give it a B. Like take the risk on a small four who's an athlete. I'll go A plus Covington mentioned offseason move best by, by any team. I think he fits Portland. What about Chris Paul? Like a glove. I, I think Portland is in a better position to win now than Phoenix is. It, it's a good move for Phoenix that they may sneak into the playoffs. I think Portland has higher aspirations. You factor in Chris Paul's age. I don't know if that really projects Phoenix because Paul's realistically got one to two years at, at his production left. Uh, hopefully, the Blazers can continue to take this and make that leap to true contenders. So that's why I value that one a little bit higher. So A plus Covington. I've been on the NS Cantor hype train for the whole offseason. A, a plus. I mean, we didn't give up ink and we gave up Mario Hozonia. Like mm-hmm. that, that's what makes it an A plus for me. Like it was just a beautiful trade. Um, CJLB, a B. I mean, it's a 46 pick. It's hard to be too high or too low on that. Um, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt based on what I've seen. Versus his performance against the Ducks. Um, Derek Jones Jr., C minus, uh, the biggest whiff of free agency. Bill's passing grade. That's how I got my degree. Passing grade C minus, baby. <laughs> Wasn't there another thing about pace? All right. We have another question from uh, Jay Shway. Wants to know how did the Derek Jones Jr. signing make any sense? Is Dots planning on implementing a more up-tempo offense for someone like Jones who can score in transition? Or is this move just as confusing to you? Hmm. I would like your take on that, Sage. Okay. Um, did you know that we actually do run a fast offense? It's top 15 in the league. And it's very... Do you, how, how, we're pretty low on the totem pole and fast break points there, my guy. I mean, if we're talking pacing alone, yeah, we are a fast-paced team that we're not uh, we're not exactly slow so yeah we are a fast-paced team so to have a guy that help can help push pace and get some easy turnover easy steals that could lead into easy dunks yeah i think that it does make sense i I think that a lot of blazer fans think that we're a slow-paced team but nah bro we've been a fast-paced team for a while so yeah like this kind this makes sense in a lot of ways i know it isn't the person that we all wanted but it's who we got, and what do you have to say about it, Mr. Poopy? Sage, we have always prided ourselves on being the realistic podcast of the Blazers. We call it like it is. I've been a fan for 30 years, so I wear my my emotions on, on my sleeve. You'll, you'll know when I'm hype, and you'll know when I, I think <laughs> you were bu- You were bummed, and I, I yeah, know that. I, 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 I don't think this move fits for Terry Stott's offense. Uh, we don't, we may push the tempo, but we don't score in the break. Our, our defense, even when it was good in 2019, plays it pretty conservative and we don't force a lot of turnovers. Again, like I said, if we were Rick Adelman's Blazers, Derek Jones Jr. is a fantastic fit. He's getting, you know, lob dunks. He's finishing on the break. We don't do that. So that's why another reason I think this move is confusing. I think we're going to be the same old Blazers on offense, which is still very talented. Very, very good. Very good. Very, very it, good. It's not a good fit on, on a lot of levels. And that's why the move is frankly pretty confusing to me. So I think I if small tweaks, 
Small Jason. tweaks will make it happen. Uh, it's not some. It's we're not. We're not changing it like we would have to change it for Aaron Neesmith to be great. Shoot or shoot, Sage. Keep 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 my boy's name out your mouth. <laughs> okay, but <laughs> I think that it's it's not exactly like if we sign Jaleel Okafor. I don't I don't get that. I get Derek Jones Jr. In a few days, people will be like, okay, I read some things. I listened to some things. I'm not as mad as I once was. I think that you take a bet on a small forward who is athletic, man. Like, you got to be able to sign Jermichael Green two years, $15 million. Sign me that deal much more than Derek Jones Jr. 10 out of 10 times. Give me the wing. Give me the wing. Nasir Little is already better than Derek Jones Jr. Take that. To we the haven't seen it. We haven't. I've seen, seen enough. I've seen enough from both players. From Nasir. Okay, you haven't. You haven't given Derek enough time to. That's to see it. Oh, Sage, was, was, was he was he riding the bench in the playoffs? But uh, didn't Nasir ride the bench in the the regular season? Like, <laughs> come on, dog. At least, at least, uh, homie played twenty six. I think. Let me see. Like, like one point five minutes per game. In the playoffs, but in the regular season, he played twenty three. I mean, the 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 Heat See, made. I'm a, just busting your chops. The Heat made a fucking uh, a trade for Iguodala that gave up a lot for him to play in those high leverage wing minutes in the playoffs. He didn't play much in the playoffs, but you know, they traded for this dude who his narrative still is he's a he clamps and de- on a uh, on defense, so they're gonna give him the first chance to do it. All right, Sage, the Blazers currently have under contract Dame, Simons, CJ McCollum, Gary Trent Jr., Rodney Hood, Derek Jones Jr., Robert Covington, Zach Collins, uh, Nurk, and NS Cantor. They still have three roster spots open if we want to use it. That's the biannual exception and two minimums. Uh, we both are on board. We probably want Wenyan Gabriel back on a minimum, on a minimum deal. But what are your thoughts on Carmelo Anthony? David Aldridge tweeted out earlier this evening that it's not out of the realm of possibility that that Melo returns. And uh, one of uh, one of my good uh, followers who I follow for a lot of Blazers news is uh, uh, Blazers by Cigar mentioned that the minimum for Carmelo Anthony due to his, due to his tenure is really only a million dollars less than the biannual exception. So if you get Melo for the minimum, you would still have that biannual to go out and get your backup one. Uh, what are your thoughts on Carmelo Anthony? He's kind of been this big unknown throughout this free agency period, and it seems like the roster is starting to fill up, but Melo was such a big piece in Portland getting to that playoff uh, position uh, last season, and he hit a lot of big shots. Uh, what are your thoughts on Melo? I, I think in terms of what I want, it's the backup guard, Wenyan, and then Mello in terms of what I would like to see. I want to see that backup guard. I think Wenyan is very important in scheme. I think Mello would be awesome to have as that third guy, but I would like to establish having uh, that that point guard more so. Mello's going to do what Mello wants to do. If he wants to play here, I think he has a spot. It's going to like his role is going to be a lot smaller, and he won't be able to do all the things that he did last year, but he has the spot if he wants it. I think that Neil and he had conversations about this. If you're willing to accept this role, please be the vet on the team. 
but I, I so I definitely could see a way uh, I can see him being on the team and being that vet for all of these young guys that have potential. So yeah, I, I definitely would like to see it, but if it doesn't happen, it's because Mello wants something else in his life. And I respect that. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. I do think it's interesting to watch if Mello comes back for the minimum it is to be the backup for the Covington. And then it becomes interesting because you've got both Zach Collins and Ennis Cantor, both essentially on one-year deals. And I prefer Ennis Cantor as my backup five. Would there be a trade in the works? Because you still have a young Anthony Simons who's probably going to get uh, freezed out in minutes. Um, and you'd have Zach Collins who you may have to pay in a year or two. Seems like that could potentially be a trade opportunity for for Neil O'Shea. I know how he loves to hang on to his young players, but I I do fear that almost we get into that territory of of too much talent, too many mouths to feed. And it worked for Portland in 99, and it got a little dicey in 2001 when they brought in Rod Strickland at the deadline. Again, different, different team, different chemistry, different makeup. But at the same time, these players are elite. They all are here for a reason, and they all want to play. And it just, uh, it, it could get a little dicey. Is yeah, absolutely. But and I would uh, take Melo back at the minimum. I think he'd be a fantastic backup for an instant bucket getter, great locker room presence. But I would want to see a trade to consolidate a little bit of the roster because, again, you want roles to be defined. You don't want to go into a, you know, Terry Stotts has been notorious for this. Whether it's been with Joel Freeland and Thomas Robinson and Myers Leonard, He'll yank one, start one, and just rotate that pattern over and over again, not letting players get into a rhythm. I don't think he would do that with a Carmelo, but if you really want to tap into Zach Collins and see, hey, are you really going to live up to your number 10 overall pick hype? He's going to need a defined role. I don't mm. think you can rotate minutes with him and Ennis Cantor and expect him to shine. He's not going to be happy about it. I think that there's going to be some uncomfortable talks with some players on this on the fringe of the roster. Um, so... Would it surprise me if we made a trade? Absolutely not. This is a long off season, bro. Like I know a lot of action has been done already and a lot of players have been signed, but this is the long haul. We're playing chess, not checkers. Like there's going to be guys out a week from now that are honestly in the same tier level as the people that got signed today. And they're going to get signed for 2 million less, like at $2 million. So I think it's, it's now time for us to be patient and see where the process takes us. So maybe we get some deals that make it so, Oh, Wenyan Gabriel isn't as necessary as once thought because of whoever being a free agent. I think that now it's time for us to really look at who is out there and make a informed decision on what, what needs to happen. But yeah, I definitely could see that there's going to be some difficult talks. And I think with that, that about wraps it up. Again, we will be back with you as soon as we get more Blazer news. It was uh, hot and heavy on this Friday. Friday uh, started in the morning, and it's about 10.55, and we're still getting news rolling in. And uh, training camp kicks off pretty soon. We're going to have a season on December 22nd. I think the Blazers, this is their year um, in terms of they need to show true true progress. I think for Terry Stotts, I think for Neil Olshay, I think for the Dame CJ Nurk trio, uh, this is their year to all prove that this is the way. This is the path they need to be on. And I think it's a lot of pressure, Sage. 
I do think anything short of a, at least a seven game conference semifinals, probably Western conference finals appearance. Um, they got to get there. Um, the, the path is open. Other teams are starting to fall by the wayside. They've gotten some help. The doors open Sage. It's just all on the Blazers to open it and, and bust it down and walk through and, and act like they're the true contenders to the Lakers mm-hmm. crown. Mm-hmm. I mean, how many other teams would you rather be in for this year than the Blazers? The in the Western Conference outside of the Lakers, I, I, I maybe depending on what Denver ends up with, maybe Denver just because of how resilient they are. Again, I still think Portland is the better team, but like I certainly don't think it's Utah, I, I don't think it's Golden State. Um, Dallas has Luka, and I think in future years that's going to trump everything, but Porzingis is still on the mend a bit, and defense is still highly questionable. Um, you've got a lot of up and coming teams, but the, we're not, I mean, for this year, for I think the Blazers year, it, it, are second. Hard, yeah. So. It, it's hard to say like the Clippers have a lot of pressure. I can't understate or I can't overstate how much pressure the Clippers are under with Leonard and George, both with options to go into free agency next year. Like they need to get it done as well. And, and they've already lost Montrez Harrell. They've lost Jermichael green. Um, it, it's going to be, a very interesting season in the NBA in Portland. The time is now like mm. we, we need to put up or shut up. There's, there's no more waiting on players that there's no more, maybe next year. It, it has to be this year. Mm. All right. Uh, we are available on iTunes, Google play stitcher, Himalaya podcast, uh, dash radio, nothing but net radio Tuesdays, two to three on dash, uh, radio, nothing but, and, uh, If you listen this far, you're a real one, and we will be back soon. Wherever you may be, this is Bill Shinley. Good night, everybody. Let's Let's go!